the squadrons and debts ended up getting assigned, you know, overseas. But Clark Gable actually trained there. I think he was an officer, maybe a major. Or yes, something yeah, like he that. was a pilot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When the public found out that he was training there, the phone lines would get jammed up for hours every now and then with his fans trying to get a hold of him, trying to kind of wish him luck. Yeah. <laughs> or girls trying to call him or whatever it was because he was still a famous movie star. Oh, yeah. Welcome to Talk With History. I am your host, Scott, here with my wife and historian, Jen. Hello. On this podcast, we give you insights to our history-inspired world travels, YouTube channel journey, and examine history through deeper conversations with the curious, the explorers, and the history lovers out there. Now, I don't have any like fancy schmancy wordy intro tonight, but I do want to continue to ask folks for reviews. We've been kind of getting an uptick in downloads for the past couple months and for folks listening. I'm always looking for feedback for some way. And also, and Jen, I don't know if I told you this, we now have two membership options for the podcast. Now, there's no, really the the benefit is that you're just kind of supporting the podcast. Mm -hmm. And both tiers are similarly priced. And I called the one tier coffee contributors. So if you are a coffee fan, much like myself, you can be a coffee contributor. Mm -hmm. And then the other tier, which is the exact same price, if tea is your preference, you can be a tea tipper. Ah, I like it. So you can be a coffee contributor or a tea tipper. So if you're interested in in supporting the podcast that way, you can go to talkwithhistory.com. We do have a link in the show notes for this and you can check out the, either those that's kind of like a monthly thing it's like two bucks a month right oh, we would yeah appreciate it yeah it's it's, it's it's two bucks a month that's not, not a big deal it's probably less than that what coffee would actually cost or maybe it's 2.99 <laughs> but i got nice pretty pictures it looks really cool or if you just want to contribute something buy us a cup of coffee just one time there's a one there's a one-time option as well cool and we'll kind of call your name out and give you a little recognition but for those who do decide to join monthly monthly we will call those people out and kind of say thank you to them by name on the podcast. So that that is what, if you want to contribute to the podcast and you want to join our membership, you can be a coffee contributor or a tea tipper. We will call each of those out, each of those groups out, at least once a month on the podcast and, and call out our members. That's great. So Jen, we are talking, people kind of saw the, the show title about Medal of Honor, so Tell us a little bit about kind of why we're talking about Medal of Honor recipients tonight. Yeah, and I, I know you had said like you don't have like a fancy opening because I don't think it really needs a fancy opening, right? The Medal of Honor is the highest uh, highest recognition that the United States military bestows on a service member. And Teddy Roosevelt really lobbied for one and never received it. And General George Patton once said, I would sell my immortal soul for that medal. Really? Yes. The Medal of Honor was first authorized in 1861 for the sailors and Marines and the following year for soldiers as well. So it was first authorized during the Civil War. Okay. So there you go. So that's that's when it started. So the Medal Mm -hmm. of Honor began coming out of the Civil War, 1861. It looks like, uh, from what I can see here, the efforts of Senator James Grimes mm-hmm. and the Secretary of Navy, Gideon Wells, mm-hmm. who we actually, I think we had talked about him once or twice. We have. Um, mm-hmm. And to inspire sailors to valorous service, and it led to the creation of the Medal of Honor. And each of the 
What I one of the things I found interesting, and I found this over the course of numerous videos we've done, and we've talked about folks like Audie Murphy and things like mm-hmm. that. But each service, each service's Medal of Honor, actually is a little bit different. And so, e- if you see each one, they're not all the exact same kind of actual medal, right? The Army's is a little bit different than the Navy's, and it's a little bit different than the Air Force. So. That's one thing that until I started making videos, I actually didn't realize that. They still have that classic blue yes. kind of ribbon collar with the stars square and then the metal that hangs down from it. But each service is a little bit different. Yes. And you were thinking of the first formal system for rewarding acts of individual gallantry by the nation's fighting men was established by General George Washington, August 7th, 1782. Okay. And that was designed to recognize any singularly meritorious action. And the award consisted of a purple cloth heart. Okay. So it's kind of how the purple heart started. It's not what the purple heart is now. Is now. Because now it's for people who are wounded wounded in action. Wounded in action. So, but but it was started by George Washington recognized. But the actual title medal of honor did not come around until Civil War. Civil War. Okay. And you remember us talking about Secretary of Navy Gideon Wells. Gideon Wells because of the Ironclad. Yes. So and because we talk about Mary Lovestri. Yes. She presented the plans That's right. for the Ironclad to him. That's right. So if you want to listen to any of those episodes, the Battle of the Ironclads and Mary Lovestri, she was the spy down here, African American spy who got the plans when they were building when the South was building their ironclad. Yeah, and pretty pivotal to, yes. the, to the Civil War. Yes. But to bring it back to the Medal of Honor, why we're talking about it today, again, this is another thing that we got to see on our jam-packed Western road trip when we were, again, in, in Pueblo, Colorado. Yes. At the Pueblo Wise Broad Air Museum. And one of the displays that they had there was the, kind of this whole section to servicemen and women, mostly historical stuff. And they had a Medal of Honor section. They we had a we medal, weren't yeah. expecting that. We weren't expecting that. And what's very interesting is Dwight D. Eisenhower, upon presenting one of these Medal of Honors to one of these recipients from Pueblo, Colorado, said to him in 1953, uh, what is it? Something in the water out there in Pueblo? All you guys turn out to be heroes. And so then in 1993, there was a congressman who read into the congressional record information about Pueblo and its recipients of the Medal of Honor. And he cited at the time, it was the only city in of record to have four living recipients of the Medal of Honor from the same hometown. And so we actually open our video mm-hmm. with John Hill, who's one of the docents there. Mm-hmm. And he taught, he, he showed us the picture of all four recipients, Yes, you know, living at, at the time, I think today, which was, you know, back in June, you know, for us mm-hmm. a few months ago, I think there was only one that was, that was still living. There's only one still living That's today. still living. Yes, it, so it, who were, who were the four that were from there? So Pueblo, Colorado has since been called um, the home of heroes yep. because of this. So you have, Four Congressional Medal of Honor recipients. You have William J. Crawford, Army, World War II. He's the one we kind of highlight in our video. And then Carl L. Sitter. He's a Marine from Korea. Raymond Jerry Murphy. He's also a Marine. He's from Korea. And then Drew Dix. uh, His is from the Army and from Vietnam. He's the only one still living. So these four gentlemen are all from Pueblo, Colorado. And what they did, so when you read about what they did, 
it's why the Medal of Honor is such a prestigious, you know, award. It's it's that next level, right? And we we focus on Crawford because his story is just so interesting. Crawford is a World War II fighter. He basically disarms three machine gun nests of the Nazis during World War II, single-handedly. Just kind of runs out there, throws grenades. His grenades happen to be spot on, blows up these nests. He's able to, basically his men are taking so much fire that they can't get by. He takes a ton of fire. And it's almost like he says, like, the bullets were going between his legs and, and he stuff. And he says it himself. <laughs> Some of the video that we cut in, because for a lot of these Medal of Honor recipients that are more modern, there's a site. And it's if you Google it, you can find it pretty easily. But it's a lot of them telling their story. Yes. And so we found that video. Yes. And I, I kind of cut it in to, to John talking about it as well. And and he literally says, like, I, I ran. He's like, and I he basically sounded surprised he didn't get shot. Yeah. He's like, the bullets must have been going between my legs. And it's just like totally badass. Yeah. But so he does this. He's in Italy at the time. And subsequently he gets captured and he spends 19 months as a prisoner of war. But during those 19 months, he is awarded the Medal of Honor. And so because he's a prisoner of war and they actually think he has they, passed. They thought he was dead. Yeah. They posthumously present the medal to his father and Truman presents it to his father. And so again, and then he's, he's, you know, he was released as a prisoner. He comes back home, gets the Medal of Honor from his father. So he's never given his Medal of Honor from a president, which right. is how you should receive the Medal of Honor. You should get it from a, the sitting president. And he actually, I did a little bit for the research. He comes back and he finishes a full career in the army. He reti- he actually retires as a master sergeant. That's amazing. Which is in- which is incredible to me. So here he, here he is, he comes back, you know, a war hero, receives his Medal of Honor from his dad, mm-hmm. right? He you know, c- comes oh, yeah. home. While you're a prisoner, I got this from the president. Right. <laughs> and then finishes a full career, retires as a master sergeant, and then how, so how did we? How did so how did we? After find retirement, he takes a job as a custodian at the Air Force Academy. It's not far from Pueblo, Colorado. It's about forty-five minutes north. And and so he's uh, you know he wants to mentor young cadets, and he's a uh, you know he's the custodian there. And then one of the cadets writes a paper, and I and he writes his paper on the, the janitor's lessons in leadership. And then they start to look up his background and realize that he has achieved the Medal of Honor. Yeah, but so as he was doing research for this paper, for, for the he, paper, he recognized the name mm-hmm. and went and asked him, he's like, hey, are you the William J. Crawford who's the William J. Crawford in this Medal of Honor book over here? Mm-hmm. And he was like, yeah, that's me. Yes. <laughs> and that's when they came to realize he never received his Medal of Honor from a sitting president. So at the Air Force Academy graduation, yeah. President Reagan spoke, and in 1985, at that ceremony presents him with the Medal of Honor. Yeah, it was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. And I, and I found that, I actually found that too. I was surprised that I found that recording. Mm-hmm. Um, so we actually have the clip of Reagan speaking, calling him up on stage. There's something I want to do that means a lot to me and I'm sure will mean a lot to you. We're graced with the company of a man who believed so much in the values of our nation that he went above and beyond the call of duty in defending them. In July 1944, a grateful nation bestowed the Medal of Honor on a soldier, a private, 
for extraordinary heroism on Hill 424 near Alta Villa, Italy. This soldier could not accept the award that day. He was a prisoner of war, and his father accepted in his behalf. Since early in this century, it has been customary for the President to present the Medal of Honor. Well, nearly 40 years have gone by, and it's time to do it right. A native son of Colorado, and certainly a good friend of the Air Force Academy, will forever be in the select company where the heroes of our country stand. It gives me great pleasure to ask Mr. William J. Bill Crawford, formerly of the 36th Infantry Division, to come forward. Thank you. Now he he knew he was in, he was in William Crawford was wearing his old uniform and but he calls him up on stage you know gives him the medal mm-hmm. and then of course Reagan has to be Reagan like he like he he finishes that whole little mini presentation then he looks around because everybody's standing up for this this Medal of Honor presentation and he kind of looks and speaks to someone off to the side and he's like I think everybody can sit sit down right and you hear from the from the <laughs> side it's like oh yes sir yes sir he's like okay and he just tells everybody yeah sit down sit down mm-hmm. and everybody just kind of laughs because Reagan has that aura right yes. he, he has that that presence and that timing and then he just says sometimes I don't know my own power yeah. right it, just because he asked everybody to sit down and he, he's always cracking jokes always right cracking it's, jokes. it's Reagan just kind of making moments light and he Reagan also humbles himself in that moment yeah. like as as most presidents do when they present the medal of honor that that person is actually like the highest achiever of America's respect at that moment even more than the president in that moment We talked about Drew Dix. He's the, uh, the one who's currently still living. He was Army during Vietnam. What he did was totally badass, too. During the Tet Offensive of 1968, although outnumbered at least 30 to 1, he led a, led a small contingent of troops on a harrowing 56-hour battle against two Viet Cong battalions. And he rescued a ton of civilians. He rescues a young nurse, eight volunteers, two Filipino workers, a young Vietnamese girl, a wife and children of the of the chief in the area. And acting alone, he assaulted enemy strongholds, secured key buildings, and captured over 20 prisoners, including one of the highest ranking officers ever seized during the Vietnam War. Holy cow. I know. That's why the Medal of Honor is like next it, level. It really is. And for, for anybody listening, you know, I know there's. I know we have folks who are currently in the in active duty military and, and former military that that listen. Like, and throughout my career and throughout mm-hmm. your time in the Navy, you get to every now and then we kind of say, "Hey, this is one of those kind of Navy heritage moments." We do heritage training and stuff like that, and and they'll talk about some of these Medal of Honor winners and they'll read the official citation. Yes, you know, and and I did that when I was in command. Right, mm-hmm. every now and then, once once or twice while I was there, we'd say, "Okay, we're going to read." the Medal of Honor citation for mm-hmm. this particular person. And it's just so emotional yes. hearing these stories and, and thinking about like, it's true self-sacrifice because that person is not, almost at a point of not thinking of themselves whatsoever. The yes. only thing they're focused on is saving those around them yes. and, and you know, defeating the enemy. It's it's. It, I, it's it's difficult to even understand and comprehend. It's it's completely true, and that that's true for um, Carl Sitter. He's all, one of the other 
people from Pueblo, Colorado. He was a Korea Marine. And during the winter of 1950, General Douglas MacArthur declared troops will be home by Christmas. But unknown to the commander, the 1st Marine Division was being surrounded by over 120,000 Chinese troops. And so on November 29th at the Chosen Reservoir, Carl Sitter received his faithful orders to take East Hill. And in frigid 60 below zero conditions, and that's no joke. Uh, so so I, I've, I've heard of this. Yes. Uh, the, the Battle of Chosin is very famous. Sitter and his men ended up on East Hill, outnumbered at least 20 to 1. They engaged the Chinese troops for three nights, many times in hand-to-hand combat. And during that battle, Sitter remembers feeling as though he was protected by an invisible shield. He was able to strategically maneuver his men to take and hold East Hill. He yelled words of inspiration to his fellow soldiers and several times Sitter refused evacuation and determinedly led his men out of the chosen reservoir, leaving no one behind. One of his boys, they were, they're called Carl's boys, now retired. Remember, it is the highlight of their life. And he was a highly respected Marine colonel. So, so again... Someone, you know, I'm not the history buff, mm-hmm. but I remember learning about the Battle of Joseph. Yes. You know, e- even so at the Naval Academy and, and kind of, again, hearing about it a couple of times. I, I didn't, I don't think I even realized when we were talking about it because it was a relatively short segment we recorded of it because we just weren't expecting this. Yes. And he kind of, and, they, and it's cool because in the video, again, the video will be linked in the, in the show notes. They actually have his backup is like, I guess, replacement or whatever they yes. call it, Medal of Honor there they have it. in mm-hmm. the museum. Mm-hmm. And it's on kind of his, it's, that's his uniform. Yes. Which that's pretty incredible that, that a museum like this in Pueblo, Colorado, you know, home of heroes, gets to have this something that's so significant. Because the Battle of Chosin, I mean, everybody learns about that. Yes. And I, what I really appreciate about these gentlemen is most of them are officers. Mm. And, you know, you hear, we, we always laugh about how officers are kind of depicted in movies, how they're kind of, ho, oh, oh, ho, oh, we don't know what's happening and other people are doing the job. These are guys leading from the front. Yeah, he, he was a major at the time. He was a major at the time. Yeah. Like they're out in front. Yeah. They're doing it. And like he said, he felt like he had an invisible shield. To what you had said before, These a lot of these recipients of Medal of Honors they have really just completely put their lives out there on the line, right? I think it's part of the saying when you read it, you know, to to completely put your own life at risk for the betterment of your troops and your people that you you really thought, you didn't really think of your own personal life. Yeah. You were thinking of everyone else's life. Like that's part of the verbiage, I think, of the Medal of Honor. Yeah, I wish I would have had a little more time to kind of read that and kind of been able to soak that in. If Anybody listening, if you ever get a chance to, to visit, you know, the Denver area, Pueblo is not too far away. I highly recommend heading over to the museum there to kind of take that all in. It's an amazing museum with, you can spend, easily spend an entire day yes. there if you really want to take your time. And the, the last one, the Lieutenant Raymond Jerry Murphy, he's Korea 1953. He was a Marine and he, there was a raid on, I think it's Ungok Hill in Korea. And it was a cold day in February, 1953. Again, these ungodly cold temperatures. It turned very 
grimly, very quickly for the 1st and 2nd Marine Platoons of Able Company. 2nd Lieutenant Raymond Murphy was the 3rd Platoon leader with the assignment of evacuation. As the raid progressed, he became uneasy and he felt something might be wrong. So defying direct orders, he kind of climbed up on the hill to assess the situation. And it was just as he suspected. The assault had been stalled because all the officers and NCOs of the first two platoons had been killed. So what he did, knowing the raid had failed, is he led a very heroic rescue mission to get everyone out of there. Wow. And so under his command, he took enemy fire. He made countless runs up the hill. Think of like Forrest Gump yep. going back. This is what he did. He pulled other men back, provided cover. He would provide a kind of air f- cover. And this is the person who Eisenhower is presenting the Medal of Honor to okay. when he makes the statement, what's in the water with you guys yeah. in what, Pueblo? In Pueblo. Yeah. Wow. And so he just, he received numerous wounds, refused treatment until everyone else had been evacuated and treated. So again, like you had, you said, there is a moment with soldiers where they're just so a part of the mission that it really isn't about their life anymore. It's about everyone else's life and the, and seeing the mission through. And what I appreciate about him as a young officer, because he's a young lieutenant, is he is defying orders to figure out what's going on. And when he sees that the mission has changed, he completely takes the leadership upon himself to take control and evacuate everyone from that, from that offensive. So those are the four Medal of Honor recipients from Pueblo, Colorado. It's their hometown. Yeah. And then we also showcase one in the video who is a Civil War Medal of Honor recipient, but he's buried in Pueblo. He's not yeah. from Pueblo. So there's basically five in the area. In the area. And so again, at the time they were the four were living, and I think that's what made it the the hometown of heroes. Because there might be other towns that have more Medal of Honor recipients from that hometown. Total. But because those four were living at the same time, it's because they got that name. And so it's just amazing. Those stories, they just, I mean, you can see why that is the highest award. It's not even an award. The highest recognition recognition you can get from our country for your military service. And then we also showcased in that video World War II posters. Yeah, they so they had a phenomenal section of just kind of, you know, I wouldn't call it memorabilia, right? But it's it's items from World War II mm-hmm. and Korea and Vietnam yes. and, and you know communicate and they set it all up to you know it's even interactive for the kids. Yes, kind of have the aircraft that coincide with the uh, kind of theaters they were a part of in the military. Yeah. And some of those World War II propaganda posters that some of them, like you said, I had never seen some of those before. And they were all original. Yeah. So of course they had the G, I wish I was a man, I joined the Navy, which I love. I have the magnet of it on the refrigerator. But they had one of Dory Miller. Dory Miller, who is the, he was the cook on the ship during Pearl Harbor attack. When the gunman was killed, he took control of the surface to air guns and shot down a plane. Yeah. They just named an aircraft carrier after mm-hmm. him. Yeah. I he believe was, he's an aircraft carrier. Yeah. And so they, there was a poster of him. There was some really cool ones there. I always love those posters. Yeah. And then they had the kind of whole display of all the female uniforms. Yes. That was neat. So they really do. I, I say it in the video. They really do a good job of, of honoring women in service 
And there was about eight mannequins with full dress military uniforms. They had Marines, they had Coast Guard, they had Navy, they had Air Force, they had WASP uniforms. So it was very neat to see a full female uniform from the, from that era and and for the different services. Yeah. And then the last thing was the flight jackets. Yes. The flight jackets were really cool. Mm-hmm. And, and I got some really fun shots of those. And I have a feeling that if we'd have been able to spend more time on each one of them and the significance of why they were on display, we called out one. Sure. It was from the, the aircraft called Witchcraft. Yes. And I guess it was called Witchcraft because it had done, you know, kind of an ungodly amount of successful missions without getting hit or ever pulling back. It's like 135 missions. Yeah, and they thought there must be some kind of something special, some right. kind of witchcraft about that. So this flight jacket had kind of witchcraft written mm-hmm. on it. And some of them had more decorations, kind of drawings on them. Yes. Some of them were a little bit more plain. But it was cool seeing those old leather flight jackets. Yeah, so and I, I, most people know that I was a Navy pilot. So I was a naval aviator. And when you get your wings, you get a brown leather Navy issue flight jacket. They're hard to get. They're very expensive if you want to buy them off market. And so to to receive it when you get your wings is a great honor because you only get one. And it's a throwback to this old era where you would fly in open cockpits or freezing cold cockpits and you'd have to you have to be issued yeah. a brown leather jacket because you'd be freezing in the cockpit. And so now it's really just very ceremonial. I flew with it one time over the Rockies. I was freezing. I put it on and I actually flew with it in, in the T-34. But most time you don't really fly. You get a, you get another military jacket issued to you to fly with. But you, now we put patches on it and you wear, you pass it down and you have it in your family. But it's a throwback to when they really were used as part of your gear, yeah. as part of what you flew with because of the cockpits being so cold. And and it's just very cool to see the ones that were, were in action and actually people have put stuff on them from the, you know, the flights they flew. And so they have a nice collection there at the Pueblo Museum. One more thing I wanted to talk about real quick before, as, and you just mentioned it real quick in the video, is that Clark Gable. Gable, yes. Was, yes. Was stationed at so the, the Pueblo old Museum. Hollywood actor Clark Gable. Mm-hmm. Yes, the famous, you know, Gone with the wind. Gone with the wind. Red Butler. Frankly, Scarlet. I mean, I don't give a damn. (laughs) Right, that guy. He, right, because a lot of these, you know, during World War II. They joined the military. They joined the military. Mm -hmm. And so he trained, and you actually didn't know this until after we left. No. So I was talking with, I think, the the museum president. Mm -hmm. She was hanging out with me and the kids while you were sitting with, with doing, filming with some of the other gentlemen. Um, And she told me this. And it's, it's actually, it's on their website. So if you go to, to their website, pwam, pwam.org.org, they, they show this on there. So that's where I pulled it off of. But Clark Gable actually trained there because that in Pueblo, there was a, there was a big training site there. And a lot of these air kind of you know, the, the squadrons and debts ended up getting assigned, you know, overseas. But Clark Gable actually trained there. I think he was an officer, maybe a major. Or yes, something yeah, like he that. was a pilot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And her story to me, and it says it on the website mm-hmm. as well, is that when the public found out that he was training there, the phone lines would get jammed up for hours every now and then with his fans trying to get a hold of him, trying to kind of wish him luck. Yeah. <laughs> or girls trying to call him or whatever it was because he was still a famous movie star. Oh, yeah. I mean, Gone with the Wind comes out in 1939. 
So World War II, it's after. And Gone right. with the so, Wind was the biggest movie that's at the only, time. It's only a few years later. Mm-hmm. So here he is in Pueblo, Colorado, <laughs> training, you know, mm-hmm. in flying and stuff like that. And people are trying to get a hold of him, jamming up the entire town's phone lines for multiple hours at a time. I can totally see that happening. What would be neat, too, is like he probably is, you know, he's flying. So he's probably making radio calls and stuff. So if Hell you're yeah. on the tower, if you're in control. See if you recognize Pudler, the voice. It would be his voice on the radio making radio calls. Yeah. So that's really neat. That that was neat. That was just kind of a quick call out that I put in the beginning of the video. When I'm kind of I'm doing kind of like a pop up video thing, kind of talking about the, the little bit of the backstory of the military training sites in Pueblo, Colorado. If you're ever in that area, I highly encourage you guys to to visit. Let them know that that we sent you, that that you came from Walk With History. If you guys want to support the show, we love it when you share the show with other folks. Or you now you can be a coffee contributor or a tea tipper. And if you do join one of those membership tiers, I'll kind of give you guys, those, those members in those membership tiers, a shout out once a month on the podcast just to say thank you for the support. I think it's, again, two nice. or three, two or three bucks but we really do appreciate it. So if you know someone else that might enjoy this podcast, please share it with them. And especially if you think today's topic would interest a friend, shoot them a text and tell them to look us up. We rely on you, our community to grow, and we appreciate you all every day. We'll talk to you next time. Thank you.